0: The Pursuit of Happiness is the new series that we're in, and the uh, subtitle is What's Better Than Happy. If you're taking a look in our text today, it's in the book of Philippians, if you're looking there, Uh, take a look in uh, chapter 1, and uh, we're going to show it on the screen, but you may want to find it in your Bible, chapter 1, 1 through 8, Tuesday night, 6.30, 6.30 Tuesday night. Is our annual business meeting. It's a time of celebration. If you're a member of the church or just an individual who loves the church, come on out. Six thirty, we start sharply. It usually lasts an hour, maybe a little more, uh, so that you can enjoy the blessings of the Lord with us. Who might be the happiest person? You know, individual you can always count on them kind of being up. Individual that when you're in their presence, you know that you're going to be encouraged. Individually, you thought, wow, you know, that person never seems to have a down day. Do you have somebody like that in your life? Or maybe you say, well, I don't have a person like that, but I do have a person like this. Negative, ho-hum, complains all the time, no all the time, never happy, no matter what I do, I cannot get their attention. And all they want to do is complain and moan and groan all the time. Hopefully, you're not seated beside a person like that. You say, well, where do I have a happy place? You know, say, where's a happy place? If you don't have a happy person and you're not a happy person and you have to be around a person that's miserable or you are the person that's miserable, Uh, we're going to learn all about that today. But say, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get in the car and we're going to go to the happy place. And the happy place is Disney World. (laughs) Oh, it's a happy place. Oh, it's such a happy place. You drive, park three miles from the parking lot, crawl on a trolley, go. You get to stand in lines. You get to take your kids to a small, small world after you've stood in line forever. You get to buy food, which cost you an arm and a leg, and you had to pay about $100, $125 to get in. That's a happy place. Happy place, happy place. And you get to hear him saying, It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. It's a small, 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 small world. And you know what? You complain about the courses repeated here, but you stand there and hear it goes, It's a small world. After... And you stand there all day long and say, Oh, what a happy place. Are you happy? Do you know our culture is not a happy culture? Our society is not. What about your churches? We get great reports and reviews from individuals who come visit Victory Church, and uh, they say, "Well, it's a happy place. People are warm and friendly, and they shake my hand and they smile a lot." And that's that's the reports that we get from most of you, most all of you. You know, do that. And if you ever come to church, that's the kind of church that you want to go to. You don't want to go to church where all they do is complain about what they don't have and be negative in every regard, etc. That's not where you want to go. You want to go to say, hey, I feel accepted. I feel loved. And I, I, I enjoy life there. It's a happy place. How wonderful is that? But I can tell you that many people are hungering for joy and happiness, and it is elusive. And the reason that it is elusive, mental health experts say that more people are in depression today. Matter of fact, 10 times more people are in depression today than in 1960. Ten times more. We have more wealth, better educated, all that goes along with it, more technology, certainly than then, and yet ten times more in depression. The average age in 1960 of people that were depressed, 29 and a half. You know what it is today? 14 and a half. That's the average age, 14 and a half. What in the world is going on? How is it that young 14-year-olds should have to carry the burden of depression? What is it? Is they have no good example? Is it that they see more misery and the problems today seem to be greater than ever? How is that possible? And I can tell you that there is a connection between meaning and a relationship with Jesus Christ meaning and the respect of Lord's Prayer, meaning and, and respect of the Ten Commandments, meaning and respect for adults, meaning, and it goes on and on and on in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have a good solid foundation to say maybe you ought to do a message and a series on, on the pursuit of happiness. And so we chose the book of Philippians. It's known as the joy book. We know that the Apostle Paul wrote that book. And we know that the words for joy in that book was rejoice and rejoicing. Rejoice and rejoicing. It's used 14 times in four chapters in the book of Philippians. And you say, well, it's something. The Apostle Paul, what a great man of God. He wrote the book. But let me tell you about his circumstance. He wrote it in jail in Philippi. In stocks, in bonds, beaten within an inch of his life, ridiculed, maligned over and over and over and over again in chains in disgrace and doesn't know what his future and the future doesn't look bright at all and yet a man can write a book like Philippians from a circumstance like that well, what's your problem so philippians 1 to get our text before us verse number 1 through 8 paul and timothy servants of christ jesus It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart for whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection, with the affection of Christ Jesus. A remarkable letter that is penned there in Philippians by a man who is in dire straits and dire circumstances. Surely there is a hidden secret that we can discover, that we can understand in our depressed, crazed world today, when we've come to believe that a bigger house, a larger, a larger uh, vehicle, and more money and greater savings will, in fact, meet the void in our lives today. Most now can tell you that it does not. The Apostle Paul in Christ Jesus by the will of God. This is how Paul looks at it. He said, I want you to know, I don't come as a business manager, an entrepreneur. I don't come to you as a wealthy man. I don't come to you as an educated man. Here's what I want you to know. From the very beginning, he talks about he and Timothy. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Servants, so that might be a secret that we look at. Servants of Christ Jesus, not millionaires not great pensions, not wealthy lands, not herds of cattle, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? I don't know that you and I woke up today and said, okay, today, servant of Jesus Christ. We woke up today and said, okay, it's church time. We're going to get in there. We're going to go to worship because that's what we're supposed to do. But we have a plethora of things that we're going to do today. Paul deals with that. Philippi was a colony of the Roman Empire. Let me give you the DNA kind of Philippi. Here it was. If you were of the culture of Philippi, part of the Roman colonies and, or government, you were a ladder climber. You're an individual that if you're going to be a part of the culture in Philippi, you better learn how to climb that ladder, buddy. You better have your suit ready, you better have your tie ready, you better, you better have the best of clothing that when you made an appearance that people knew, here's an aggressive person, here's an educated person, here's a person that will not wait on you to get on the ladder, they're going to get on the ladder and they're going to start climbing because prestige and position meant everything even to the degree of trashing relationships, family ties, etc., I'm going to climb that ladder at any cost. And we know that people have done that in our culture. When they got to the top of the ladder, they found out it really wasn't worth it because then they had no one of intimacy to really share what they had been able to accomplish on their way up because people did not matter to them. Paul steps to the plate and he says, hey, I got a lot of things in my life, but I'm telling you, be a servant. I am a servant, and I bear that cross, period. I'm not a man of a pleasant life. I'm not the ruler of a person of a successful life. He said, I'm a servant of a great cause. Well, there's something bigger than you are than I am. I'm a servant of a great cause, a great cause that is larger than I am. You see, it didn't make any sense then to a lot of people, a servant to a great cause. You see, here it is, I will never be happy if the ultimate goal of my life is for me to be happy. That was a statement. You'll never be happy if the goal of your life is to be happy. You know why? Seasons change, people change, circumstances change, wealth measures change, and often happiness is connected with what you have in your hand now. What if it's no longer there, and what if it changes just like that? What then do you base that happiness on? Here's what Paul says. Have a meaningful life. A happy life, a meaningful life. Because here's the detail of what he's going to, if you have a meaningful life, happiness comes automatically. If you have a meaningful life, joy comes automatically. But he said, if you have a happy life and you don't have a meaningful life, it will fade and get away from you. And you'll always be trying to chase the gold at the end of the rainbow, and it will not matter. And let me say to you, I have met a lot of people who do not have much, but they have a meaningful life, and they're the happiest person in the world you are not going to get them down. They are not going to complain. They are not going to criticize. They're just going to be happy. Stanford University did a a study, and it says the pursuit of a meaningful life and the pursuit of a happy life. Here's what it says, it turns out that happiness without meaning actually becomes very shallow and extremely self-centered. Self-centered, because I want to be happy for what I can gain as opposed to having a meaningful life. I'll be happy if things go well. I'll be happy when I retire. If I had more money, I'd be happy. We know all that. If I had more stuff, I would would certainly be happy. I believe that. So how do we get there? In our few minutes together, how do we get there? Joy comes actually when I practice acts of kindness and generosity. When I practice acts of kindness Joy comes actually when I practice acts of kindness and generosity. Joy doesn't come because people do something for me or you. Joy comes when I do something for someone else. I determine what their need is. Paul said, I determine what their need is, and I feel their need, I feel their burden. I feel what they're going through. And Paul said, I'm going to Philippi, which is a ladder-climbing culture, and I'm going to go as a servant. And when he began to reach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ, they said, we don't want to listen to that. It is contrary to what we have learned in the culture on our way up the ladder. In your relationship with one another, You can have the same mindset, he said, of Christ Jesus. I'm not here, Jesus said. I'm not here to be served. I'm here to be a servant so that your need is met. And what did he do? He did not climb the ladder, Jesus the Son of God. He came down the ladder. He said, I'm coming from the highest position on the pole up here on top of the ladder, and I'm coming down. Had he not came down the ladder, you and I would have never been redeemed. If he were not willing to take from his throne to come down to earth, you and I would not have the privilege of redemption. Thank God he loved us enough to say I'm coming down the ladder to where you are by the grace of God. And if you understand what you have is nothing you earned, nothing that you own, but it is something I chose to give to you because I love you, even to the point of a cup of cold water. Acts of kindness, acts of kindness. I was um, coming out of our neighborhood uh, the other day, and uh, I don't, I don't know what day it was. How many, how many of you, just so I feel better? How many of you, sometime you get, you lose track of days. May I see your hand? I mean, lose track of days. I mean, it's like, man, what day is it? Where and where in the world did Monday go? I mean, I was just, and it was there. But anyway, we were. You know, I was in in the car, and and our neighbor um, was pulling out of his property, which is about a quarter of a mile. And I was I was on the road there, and uh, he came up, and he's pulling out of his property, and going to turn right on the highway. And I stopped, nobody behind me, and I stopped to let him out, and motioned for him to to go on. And he waved, and he did. Thirty seconds, he's on the phone calling me. He said, "What what'd you do that for?" I said, "Well, I know what my message is for Sunday and I need a testimony." <laughs> he said, "And you know what he said? He's a cantankerous old bird anyway." He said, "No, nah, that's not the reason." I said, "Really?" He said, "Sharon in the car with you?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "That's the reason." that's the reason I said no it's not I'm sincere really he said okay good but act of kindness now how does that look when is the last time you gave an act of kindness to someone you didn't plan on giving it to them just an act of kindness out of a moment of spontaneity or a purpose-driven act of kindness, like to a, a single-parent family here in the church, or someone that you know. Most of the time, females, because it's difficult to try to make ends meet if you're a single la- or a single lady with children. To the degree of uh, what I'm trying to open a jar of pickles, you know, uh, and get it open. I mean, grab it. So I I can't get that open uh, to understand what it means and what it means because often finances say you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna I know people like that I'm gonna seek that person now here's what I know about many of them and a lot of people they're praying God give me a miracle God give me a miracle I need just a little help God give me just a little and you know how God answers the prayers of people needing miracles he calls on other people who are in the family of God and say help them get a miracle you're the answer to their miracle. Amen. Anybody with me out there? Everybody happy now? Amen. We all going to sing, it's a small, small world after all together? Amen. No, here we go. Understand that that's what Paul said. He said, you understand that, that act of kindness. So I encourage you this week, consider doing that. Here's another act of kindness. At the Dream Center yesterday, we had about, I don't know, 150 Publix employees. Yeah, we're shopping as a pleasure. 150 of them came out yesterday, public shirts. Worked at the Dream Center, many of them, all day long. I was over there. I'm talking about they were sweating. It wasn't just come. They were working up a sweat, and many of them did. And I told them, I said, boy, you you're, you got sweat equity here. Yeah, we sure do. And they're doing it. You know why? Doing it for the Dream Center. Because the Dream Center ministers to other people who have needs in their life. And we do it without cost, without charge, because we love people. Amen? And public team members came out and said, hey, here we are. Many of them were executives in their departments. Acts of kindness. Here's number two. Suffering can interrupt the happy life. But suffering is powerless to stop a meaningful life. You got that? Let's let's read that together, shall we? Everybody on three. One, two, three. Suffering can interrupt the happy life, but suffering is powerless to stop the meaningful life. Can interrupt the happy life. You see, there are a lot of people with problems and a lot of suffering, a lot of criticism, a lot of division, a lot of disrespect for one another and leadership. A lot of rape, more things that blow your mind, road rage like what happened this week to the man who spit out his window, and didn't see the car that had just slid up and spit and landed on his car and the guy in the car got out to the passenger in the pickup truck and stabbed him right in the chest and in three minutes time he was dead. You think that kind of behavior is in the world today? Where do you think that's rooted out of? It's rooted out of the pure evilness of Satan himself. That kind of pent-up anger. Who are you angry at Who do you have issues with? Who are you saying that's keeping you from being the meaningful, happy person? What is it that you're blaming that on? What is it that you're in angst with? And I can tell you that here's what Paul says. Hey, look at me. I had all kind of problems, but I chose not to go that way for the cause of Christ. Why? Because here's what: gee, love your enemies. Love your enemies. And we shouldn't be talking. Someone said, well, you shouldn't be talking about joy when people have so many problems. That's exactly when you ought to be talking about. Because when you have a meaningful life, it is unstoppable. But if you have a happy life and your life is based on, I'm happy, I'm good. If I'm not happy, look out. Hello? One man said to me the other day, When I go home in the evening, I don't know how my little woman's going to do, so I take a little piece of hamburger and throw it in the door. She's not coming after it. I know I'm good to come on in. Now, I didn't agree with him. I said, What you ought to be throwing in the door is a bouquet of roses. Lord, have mercy. Y'all with me? When's the last time any lady in the house had a husband throw a bouquet of roses in the front door? You should try it. I don't know whether it works or not, but it sounds better to me than the other. (laughs) Think about with me now. You say this stretches things. Paul says, every time I think about you, I'm grateful. He is referring to the group of people that just beat the living daylights out of him. Every time I think about you, why did he do that? Because he said, I have programmed my life that I might be in pain, that I might be being tortured. Things may not be going my way, and I may have difficulty here that I'm dealing with with other people, but he said, I have determined that my happiness is not based on whether I'm getting treated comfortably or pleasantly. I have chosen to have a meaningful life, and that meaningful life says I (laughs) cannot be stopped because it's not based on something that is given to me. I had a minister friend who said one time, I love pastoring a church if it weren't for the people. (coughs) He later committed suicide. His problem was bigger than a few people in his church. Your problem is bigger than just differences in your home. Your problem is bigger than differences on the job. Your problem is bigger if you have such anger problems. You go off all the time. And I can tell you what your problem is. Your problem is the lack of intimacy, of taking the time to get to know Jesus better. And allowing him to invade the territory that you have protected for others and let him come in and be king of that throne. You and I can get bent out of shape at anybody. How many of you can get bent out of shape on a dime? How many of you know it won't take a dime for you to get bent out of shape? We can. How do you look at life? How do you look at your job? How do you look at one another? How do, you, how do you look at your marriage? How do we respond to suffering? How do we respond to that? No joy for me. We understand that your life, you have to cultivate that attitude that is positive in Jesus Christ. You could say, in, if you were to write Paul's letter, how would it look like? If you were to write it and say, based on how I feel today... If I had to write the letter, I'd say, listen, everyone, you know, here it is. I'm depressed. I'm angry. I'm mad. I don't want anybody to get in my way. I have been cynical my whole life. I intend to stay that way. And if you don't like it, you can pack up and leave. Wow. Or you could write, If you had to write your own eulogy or people's going to talk about you, you could say no situation got in their way. It didn't matter if they had money. It didn't matter if they they were in the midst of difficulty, if their house flooded or a tornado took it down. I never saw them cave in to bitterness or hatred. It didn't matter how they got treated. They always seemed to rise above it. They always seemed to make the best of it. No difficult despair there. They stayed on top of it by the grace of God. You say, well, I'm just not that person. Do you know why? You choose not to be. But here's something you're overlooking. God says That you can be. And it's based on your desire to become more intimate with Him. Talking to Him, loving Him, and taking time to do it. What do you give your time for if you rob your intimacy with God? Number three, meaning comes when I invest deeply in what matters most which is in the relationship with people your best asset a meaningful asset is in those that you're closest to you see what really matters to god a lot of times are people that you don't like and you've chosen not to like what matters to god is the very person that just really twists you out of shape you know what god says hey i love them you love them but god no no but nothing The matter for relationships, Philippians 1, 3, and 4, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Always. I always pray with joy. Paul says, I've got all kinds of memories. I've got many memories of unhappy circumstances and difficulties of individuals. I still see their faces as they beat on me. He says, but I chose to make this a meaningful life to rely on Jesus Christ to fight my battles for me and to not desire to get even with those who have ridiculed me, but to take all of my energy and allow the Holy Spirit to be my closest friend and give me instruction. Nobody has unhappy relationships and a happy life. No, I got a happy life and you've got all unhappy relationships and nobody has joy-filled, meaningful relationships and a joyless life. The study in the Journal of Socioeconomics found that their changes in people's income uh, as they viewed life made them happier. How many of you think they would give you the potential of being a little bit happier if you got a twenty thousand dollar pay increase tomorrow. May I see your hand? That'd be twenty thousand dollars. I, I don't I see that hand over there. One hand, anyway. Twenty thousand. All right, that's not good enough for some of you. Twenty thousand dollars a piece of cake. All right, how about fifty thousand dollars? How many think you could get happy on that one? How about ten dollars? Let me tell you how that equates. If you're going out that parking lot out there and you look down and you're walking and you found $10 on the ground, I know the majority of you would pick that up and bring it right back into the front desk and say, I found that in the parking lot and I just thought I ought to give it back. Florida law says that finders automatically become owners of what you find. Of so if you find it, it's mine. Legitimately, it's mine. But here's what happened. If you found $10, you know what you would do? Most of the time, say, look what I found. 10 bucks, And it would bring a smile to your face as you slid it into your pocket. <laughs> or as you said, well, next time the offering is taken, I'll put it in the offering if, if I remember. <laughs> no, I know what most of you would do. Here's what they said. That... The Journal of Socioeconomics did a study, and they said they can put a number, a monetary amount on positive relationships. If the majority of your life has positive relationships, here's the monetary value they put on it, $100,000. What do you think about that? 100000 that's worth in money, having positive relationships a hundred thousand dollars. Wow, that's unbelievable. I've got a deal for you. If you give me eighty thousand dollars, I'll be your friend, and you can save twenty. I don't need the hundred. Amen, give you a little discount there. But they said there's something to it of human nature that in relationships is far more valuable than we can imagine, but what do people chase? They chase asset, they chase money, they chase things, they chase stuff, and at the same time fail to have a positive relationship with the majority of the people around them. Paul says, every time I think about you, I pray with a grateful heart and with joy. Unbelievable. Every time I remember you, God, I love you. So how do you deal with that? An author wrote a book. Sean Aker. Sean Aker was going to his tax accountant, and his tax accountant seemed to be upset. He said, "Hey man, what's going on?" He said, "Ah, that's just my wife and I. We just she just she's getting worse. She's sick? No. She's just." She's negative, and she complains, and she moans, and she doesn't want to do anything, and said, that it's just all the time. There's just no happiness. There's nothing that we agree on. He says, well, you know, have you thought about who she has to live with, an accountant there? <laughs> well, no, but he said, I, you know me, I do better with spreadsheets. So I sat down two lunch periods this week until yesterday, and I did a spreadsheet on all her faults. And he said, I read spreadsheets better than just... So I did the spreadsheet. And he said, look at this. Look at this spreadsheet with all her faults and her failures and her difficulties, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Sean said... Well, what if she did a spreadsheet? What if she did a spreadsheet on you and presented it? Do you think it would be one sheet like yours? It would be a lot of sheets. So here we have a relationship that is recording the faults and the failures. Listen when you talk to those you have relationships with. Is it critical? Is it demeaning? Is it correction? Think about what you say and then ask yourself, do I deserve to be happy if I am constantly using this language? And so here's what we found out Paul said, I could give you a spreadsheet a mile long of what's happened to me, of great difficulty. As a matter of fact, he said, I've been shipwrecked, I've been stabbed. I've been, I have faced ridicule many times, but the reason he gives a list, he says, Yet through them all, I have been delivered by the grace of Almighty God. Not that I keep a record, because the Bible says love keeps no record of wrong. And if in that relationship you keep a record of wrong and the majority of the time you're thinking about what you don't have, what's wrong and what's not right, etc., instead of making your mind up to discipline yourself, that said, hey, just let me tell you something. I'm going to be a servant unto the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to have a meaningful life and I'm going to build, I'm going to build by what I say, the kind of relationship that I desire. I know you stabbed me in the back, but listen, it really doesn't matter. I may have deserved it. I didn't think I do, but I want to tell you, it doesn't make me love you any less. So get your sharp knife, because sharp knives don't hurt as badly as dull knives when you stab me. You say, that just is not possible. It's not? This book would totally disagree. I thank God for our partnership together. Finally, a happy life is rooted. A happy life is rooted where you are in your circumstances, financially or vocationally or physically. But the meaningful life is rooted where you are spiritually. Okay? So, the happy life, if happiness is what you're chasing, if joy in itself is what you're chasing, here's what Paul writes Seek a meaningful life because, in a meaningful life, you automatically get happy and you get joy. You automatically do. (laughs) I need the right place. If I were in the right place, I could be happy. it doesn't matter where you're planted. How is it possible that John can be on the Isle of Patmos? He's already been boiled. He's already been boiled, and he lands there, but he writes the beautiful book of Revelation because God reveals it. Paul the apostle, he's faced torment and death so many, many times, but it's not robbed him of his spirit of being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would say to you, how is it that those out of the Old Testament can be in the pit and yet they seem to come out stronger and better? And how is it that many can be, can be challenged and, and can be beaten and can be chased down by a mob And still some way or another, they're able to say, doesn't matter what you do to me. You can't, how is it that people today have faced the threats of demonic forces only if they would recant the name of Jesus? But they would not do it because they chose to have a meaningful life for God. Listen carefully to me. You hear this preacher, please. There's nothing more valuable and no, more meaningful in your life. There should be nothing more meaningful than your relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing. No child. No job. He says, if you give me everything, I will give you abundance of blessing. And We know He says, take up your cross and follow after me. And that may be foreign to you. But let me encourage you. Paul says, rejoice. God will give you everything that you need, if you remember, to rejoice. The Gospel of John 15, verse 11. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Hebrews 12, 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. I know what it is to be beaten up. I know what it is to be, I live in a public bowl, to be lied about. I know what it is to take the brunt of somebody who did not like what I said. I know what it is to counsel and have individuals that didn't like the counsel i am quoted more after counseling sessions with individuals. he said this he said he said often misquoted but you live that way but here's the deal i was called to do what i do and i have chosen personally to live a meaningful life there are some days that say god help me after counseling with people all day long and hearing one thing after another you have to pull up your bootstraps and say, God, is there a God out there? As we understand your life is a story that you get to write, and and you say, I'm in the throes, I'm here. You don't understand. Pastor, find a place to pray. Break down in your humility. Get rid of your pride and say, God, whatever you say to me, I want to be obedient, and seek somebody out that can help you with that kind of journey and that kind of behavior. Would you stand together? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your love. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your power. We need you. We desperately thirst after you. God, we made so many mistakes in our lives, and some people in this room are so deep in misery. It's unbelievable. They're so deep in disappointment. They've been so hurt and so bruised. Some here today have considered suicide or listening online as a way out. And God, under the anointing of your Holy Spirit, I speak to them now and say, don't do that. There's far too many people who have hands to help you, arms to love you, Ears to listen to you. Abilities to help you get through. If a person like Paul could do what he did, if Jesus could do what he did, if many individuals that we know forefathers could do what they did, then we can, by the grace of God. Our only hope is found in Christ Jesus. It's not found in another vacation. It's not found getting away. It's found in Jesus Christ. It's all right. All of those things are the abundance that you give us as we follow you, God. But we want you to know you you are number one and that we'll reach in our heart. And we'll do whatever we can. Father, I pray for young people today. A 14 and a half years of age is the average age of those young people committing suicide today. God, help us. There must be something there that is not there. If lives can be so messed up that young people can take guns and can destroy lives and destroy property and key vehicles and do the drugs and the drink and all the other stuff, surely there's something wrong with that. If parents can sit idly by and not know for sure that their son or daughter is really on the right track, and how do they know? Because they're in love with you and the fruit of the Spirit of God, of Jesus in their lives, is seen on a daily basis. God, if that's not true, we have to understand the magnitude of what we're up against. Help us today. Bring healing to hearts that have been broken. God, don't just put a band-aid on it. Let there be a, a real revelation of truth and the anointing of your Spirit be real. Let it be so. In case there are some people here and you've lost your way or you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're young, maybe you're old. We want to be sure everybody has an opportunity to get it right, right now. So I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer if you don't mind. Please help me today. Lord Jesus, Jesus, forgive me. me. I am sorry. sorry. I've made mistakes. mistakes. I've been on the wrong path. path. But today, today, because of your grace, and your mercy in my life you have redeemed me I am so sorry of not giving you 100% of myself and of my family but today I offer all that I have to you in Jesus name I will serve you I believe if I have a meaningful life all the things I need will be given to me in jesus name name. amen amen so we're going to have an altar service it's going to be a great altar service because some of you right now in you the enemy is toying with you right now the enemy is scaring you and you feel the tension and i'll call the butterflies that are there because what you're about to do is you're about to take a supernatural step away from where you are To where God wants you to be and it's a new beginning and if you're in this room and you say I've been hurt and I'm bitter and angry or I've been depressed this moment right now can be a delivering moment for you it can be a time in which you bring that to the altar and say I do not want it anymore I need to have more meaning in my life that honors God and in your life, maybe you have someone dear to you, a son or a daughter or grandchild to say, I know, I know. Doesn't matter how old, 14 and a half. I'm going to stand in for them. And I'm going to be there. I want to encourage them. I want them to know that I'm there and I'm praying and they'll know it. And if that's you and you say, I need to get in that altar right now, you take that step of faith. And let's see what God will do. You come now as we sing. Then we'll give the benediction.